Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. A self-contained world five miles long located in neutral territory. A place of commerce and diplomacy for a quarter of a million humans and aliens. A shining beacon in space, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind, the year the Great War came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2259. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season six, Chatsalon 5. My name is Alan, and someone once said that love knows no borders, and ours proves the point. Hi, Miss Alan. Hey. Hello. <laughs> you know, for the serious first episode of our of a season, uh, there are a lot of sappy lines in uh, the beginning of season two of Babylon 5. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to get us to feel good feelings about everybody. Yeah. And sad feelings about everybody at the same time. Yeah. Sad feelings can be good sometimes. Sometimes you got to let it out and cry. Did you did you cry at all while watching these episodes? No. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe in the future. Yeah. That is a good barometer for like when uh, a show gets really good is when you feel like you could cry watching it. Um, but speaking of a show getting good, this is Chatsalon 5. It what is was the last us. show you cried at? Uh, good question. Thanks. Let me get back to you on that. I'll, I do right. have an answer. I just have to think about it. Okay. Uh, this is Chats on 5. We watch two episodes of Babylon 5 a week. And this week, we started season two. Yay! Whoa, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, specifically, season two, episode one, Points of Departure. And season one, season two, episode two, Revelations. Points of Departure was written, as most episodes of the series are going to be written from now on, by J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Janet Greek. It aired November 2nd, 1994. And it takes place January 8th. 2259. <gasps> We're in a new year. Magellan, what happened in Points of Departure? In this episode, Commander Sinclair is reassigned. <gasps> Captain John Sheridan replaces him. <gasps> on his first day on the job, he has to deal with a renegade Mimbari war cruiser. Frick yeah. Okay. Pretty, pretty good episode, in my opinion. Yeah. This. Very enjoyable. Very enjoyable, very like dynamic. Like things are moving around a lot. People are going places a lot. It's a very mobile mm-hmm. episode. Yes, uh, I agree. And Sheridan spends the episode really, really like it. I don't know if it's him or if it's the show just trying to be like, guys, look, it's me. I'm cool too. You like, come on, right? Don't we like me too? You can, you'll fall in love with me at some point. Mm. Uh, for better or for worse, I feel like that is the main thing I remember about both of these episodes is how much they want me to care about Sheridan uh, as a captain and as a, a diplomat. Um, right. Because what immediately differs him from uh, Sinclair is, uh, well, first of all, he's more inclined to fight people. He's understanding that's like he sometimes that way. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes conflict conflict may be necessary. He's a, a war veteran. Um also, he seems weirdly more knowledgeable about other cultures, which I think is going to be mm. really useful in his role on the ship uh, going forward, you know? He's certainly a very... I would say that he is, at heart, a tactician. 
Mm. Whereas Sinclair was more of a diplomat. That's a really good point. Yeah. He's seeing uh, things yeah. as like as sort of chess pieces and he's playing this big game of, you know, knowing where people are going to go and how they're going to respond to things and trying to uh like keep the peace while also making yeah. moves. But it seems at least right now it seems like for Sinclair like his mission in life had become had become the dream of Babylon 5 of creating a place for peace that could be an example to the galaxy and John Sheridan it seems like his mission is like to do a very good job at what he's told to do and right, right now the thing that he's being told to do is run Babylon 5 um and maybe that's just because we've only known him for two episodes and we'll start to see Sheridan's mission develop but as of right now He's a very situational thinker and has like a clear thing that he needs to accomplish uh, in every moment. He certainly presented at first as a little more of a kind of beat him up bad boy a la Garibaldi when he's first introduced uh, because he's on his ship, the Agamemnon, and he gets a call from the general of Earth Force. Is that right? Yeah. Well, General Haig. Yep. Yeah. And... General Haig's like, hey, we saw the, the tr- the truffle, the truffle, the truffle ship, the, the evil, the renegade Mimbari ship, the Trigati, um, the Trigati, <laughs> thank you, the Trigati, and uh, we want you to go find it and uh, make personal contact or whatever. And then Sheridan's like, with all due respect, General, the last time I made personal contact with the Mimbari cruiser. Like, I sent it straight to hell, is what he says. Like, woof. All right, new guy. Yeah, what up? So, this is the guy. Um, the Mimbari know him as Star Killer because he destroyed their biggest cruiser that was called, yeah. like, whatever, the Black Star or whatever it was called. What was it I called? believe it. I think it was called the Black Star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, he has a much different um, reputation than Sinclair. That's probably the biggest difference that we can point to. Uh, in terms of his characterization, yeah. the show is still trying to figure out what that is, but it matters that Earth has decided that he is the one leading Babylon 5. Because whereas Sinclair was uh, someone who fought in the war, but maybe ultimately has put it behind him and doesn't believe in that cause anymore, mm-hmm. um, and the Mimbari like for reasons that we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, Sheridan is someone who the Mimbari look at and they're like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? Why did they, why did they let, it's an offense to us that you guys put this guy on the ship. Yeah. It's a big middle finger to the Mimbari in a place that should be about like peace and putting these differences and the war and stuff behind them. So it's an interesting political choice from earth. And I think what we're going to see from Sheridan is, and he recognizes that at the end of the first episode, like, oh, I kind of came here because I thought it'd be a cool promotion but I'm realizing that I'm really screwing up the mission of this place. So his work in the show is going to be about atoning for his big murders and trying to be a better dude, Mm -hmm. except he's already like a pretty cool guy. (laughs) So I think that's what you're feeling of not really knowing where to like uh, sink your teeth into him. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he has a specific angle other than like he wants people to like him and, and, uh, has a mission that he wants to follow. Um, also, just really strong and worth noting that the show starts its second season on another ship that's not Babylon 5. Like, so much of this show, and it's a deliberate choice to have it set on one ship, 
Uh, that means that like we get entire episodes that literally never leave Babylon 5 for a moment. And if they do, it's like we go on to Babylon 4 or we go on to like a Mimbari ship. And this is like, no, here's a different ship with a different crew that you're going to briefly get a little peek at. You're going to see the Agamemnon. And you're going to be like, is this like, what's going on? Is this the show now? Like, do we just like, who's this guy? Right. And, you know, he's sent uh, onto Babylon 5 and he understands it as a one-off mission at first. And then the way yeah. that they cut away from it or at the end of the cold open is they're like, hey, so I have a big proposition for you, uh, Sheridan. And he's like, what is it? And it's like, you know, we understand that it's actually that we want you to stay on Babylon 5 and be their uh, their commander for, for good. Um, also, it's confirmed at the beginning of this episode that Sinclair is, uh, at least according to the Mimbari, an ambassador on Mimbar now. That's, yeah, that's, that's the last... Reassigned. That's the last like farewell we get to uh, to both Michael O'Hare and and Sinclair. Um, there's a lot of like picking up pieces though from uh, from the beginning of this episode. Like we get a bit, a little bit of Delenn's chrysalis, which has expanded. And it's yeah, all kind of there, crusty there's now. kind of clunky like first episode of the season moments where mm. Ivanova is just leading Sheridan around. And he's like, so what's the deal? And she says, okay, well, at the end of last season... Yeah, she does our recap episode. She does <laughs> yeah. our whole recap episode. And then he's like, man, it sure is crazy here. <laughs> you guys got a <laughs> hell of a ship. Um, and then that moment where the the, tri- the Tripoli uh, captain guy... Uh-huh. What is it called? <laughs> Trigotti. Trigotti. The Trigotti the captain Mimbari guy comes aboard... And he's like, computer, tell me about this place. And the right. computer's like, Babylon 5 was a dream given form. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted more of that shot, though, because that was really like, he was, the thing was Yeah, it discussing... was showing us the parts of the ship. Yeah, it was showing us the different like sectors and it was describing them and then it cut away. And I was like, no, 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 go back. <laughs> I want to see yeah, all of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Sinclair and just kind of lay it all out on the table with this guy? Sinclair or Sheridan? Sinclair. Yeah. So the actor or the character? Both. Like oh. all of it. Like let's just say farewell. This is our this is our farewell show to Sinclair. And buddy. talk about and talk about the information that we learned and what we think about it. Yeah. So I mean those big revelations happen in points of departure, right? Just to make sure. They do? I'm 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 asking you. No, oh yes, 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 yeah. Because it's related to the the trip the tram the trampoline. Correct. Okay, so <laughs> it comes out in this episode that uh, the reason that Sinclair was a big deal was because well, basically, sorry, I don't mean to. Interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. I want to. Yeah, you'll do this part. I'll do the setup. So the Earth Mimbari War: Humans versus Mimbari. They're fighting. Mm-hmm. They're fighting. The the Mimbari are way more advanced. They have better ships that have stealth technology. They make it all the way to Earth, and they're about to invade Earth. Um, but then mysteriously to all Mimbari and to all humans, the Mimbari stop and they don't conquer earth and they don't destroy the humans. And so it was a big mystery in season one of why did they do that? Mm -hmm. We learned in season one that it was related to, they uh, pulled, they took Sinclair on board, the great council, the the leaders of the Mimbari, they pulled him on board and did something with him and it seemed like we were going to be told what that was at the end of season one. Delenn was like, come to my quarters and I'll tell you the answers to the season long question. Right. And then Sinclair was like, ah, shoot. I forgot about the driving, <laughs> the driving arc of my character. 
Ugh, dang it. Whoopsie. Ah, she's in a, a cocoon now. Ah, now uh, I'm gonna have to wait. She gets out of the cocoon. She's a butterfly. Oh, I'm off the show now. Whoops. I'll never know. Mm. Um, and then in this episode, Lanier, blessedly, it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Lanier as the lore dump character is so good. Perfect. Entirely perfect. Yeah, it's appropriate. He delivers it well. Boom. Like, it's not boring. Um, It's actually in plain English. Like, it's it's totally a lore dump. He's basically like, here is the connection between humans and Mimbari. But it, like, feels really fascinating. And, like, he's, it's, like, the the most interesting history lesson that I've gotten on, like, a TV show. It's fun that he is, it's coming from a character who is not, does not have the highest authority to give this information. That's what right. makes it kind of exciting. Yeah. That he he was told that it's okay, um, but it still feels like he's kind of making this choice of his own accord. Um, and he's like, hey, don't, don't tell anybody this big secret, but now you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the secret being, uh, dun dun dun, basically, uh, Mimbari have souls, just mm-hmm. like all every living thing does. And uh, when they die, their soul moves on to another vessel, um, and uh, either moves on and becomes like a spirit, or moves on to another vessel. And it has come out that humans are uh, basically husks that Mimbari souls occupy, and be- and they become humans. They're an evolved form of Mimbari souls that that died, or some some humans have Mimbari souls, right? Certain humans. Um, I think the most fascinating thing about this revelation, and Sinclair and did, is one of them. It, well, yes, Sinclair yeah. is one of them, but uh, it's like it's presented to us like an objective truth. It's not yeah. necessarily true. That's is, what Sheridan seems to say at the end of the episode. Is like I don't actually believe this. You don't because you don't have to. Like you can go the rest of the show. I guess I don't know when if they're going to ever corroborate it. But yeah. like, it's a thing that they believe religiously. It's almost like they're explaining the Bible to you, or they're like, "Well, people came from Mimbari," mm-hmm. and it's like, "No, that doesn't make any sense." Like you can't explain that with science, and they probably could if they went far back enough. Um, and they showed you know whatever happens to Sinclair, but uh, that's sort of an interesting way to present faith and spirituality to the viewer is as like lore like this is just history to us and we have accepted it as history as many uh like uh religious communities have Mm -hmm. is that their religious texts are not presented as uh something to assume but for something to object objectively believe so i think that's really cool um what do you think about this reveal though um i you know it makes me wonder it just makes me wonder if this was known the whole time that this was going to be the Sinclair revelation, and if so, when it was planned, that they were going to reveal it. Yeah. Because it feels in this episode like, ugh, we can't just let this sit. We have to answer this question because we know that Sinclair is not going to come back anytime soon. So here's an answer. Um, yeah. And that... Like, because this is a story that has real people in it, um, like real actors are playing the characters, it's hard for me to separate what is going on behind the scenes from what's happening on screen. Narratively, I think this is, you know, it makes complete sense to reveal this information to us now because it makes 
season two have, especially with what we learn about Delenn in the second episode, mm-hmm. um, have this tone of like bigger lore that is stretching back further, further back into the kind of like weird um, religious past and also is previewing a potential future for us that could be totally different in which humans and Mimbari, who knows, maybe they converge and become one species or something. Uh, yeah. And so it gives us things to work with and explore in this season. But I can't help but think that I really would like to see the scene where Lanier is like, Sinclair, you have a human, uh, Mimbari soul. And he's like, what? I have a what? Yeah, you. Want, I really want to see that from Sinclair's perspective. Right. And how he's re- reacting to that revelation. Because maybe he knows. Maybe he has known for a while or suspected it. Yeah, who knows? And then the, like, and then season two presumably would have been about, like, he's a human, but he has a Mimbari soul. Does he believe that? What does that mean? How does he reconcile that with, like, being a member of the human military? Um and like, is there a moment where conflict breaks out between the humans and the Mimbari again, and he's caught in the middle of it? I would imagine that that was the plan mm-hmm. for season two. Um, and then they had to scrap that because Michael O'Hare, um, for his own personal reasons, wasn't feeling ready to continue in the role. Right. Um, it's 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 a bit it's a big drop, honestly. This this reveal. Um, whether or not it leads to conflict or uh, any big moves right now is not uh, necessarily clear. But we know that the only people, I guess, or the only humans who know this information now are Sheridan, uh, Sinclair, obviously, Ivanova, interestingly enough, because she's there when they have this whole moment. And then uh, I feel like there's one more, or like, oh, the president. Yeah, Sheridan tells the president. Yeah. Who doesn't believe it. Who doesn't believe it? Yeah, we get the the little scene with the president. And he's like, seems like nonsense. Um, so it's it's limited enough information right now, but it seems like one of those things where if they reveal that they could potentially change diplomatic relationships between these two races in a big way. Hmm. Um, the middle though of the episode is kind of okay. It's a lot of like uh, world building and revelations. We have this the Minbari rogue person on the ship named Kalane. He's got like spiky daggers and it's like him threatening people and he's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, most interesting thing I learned from him was that the Mim- not all of the Minbari like trust the Grey Council even though they know it exists and they know that like it's a secret council that we don't talk about. Yeah. But he's like, ugh, the Grey Council, they're the ones who put Delenn here. Like they are the ones who probably put uh, Sheridan here. Like they're stupid. I don't like the Grey Council. And it's like, just, you know, we know about the Illuminati, but we don't like them, kind of, is what they're saying. Right. And we know that they were the ones who said we had to stop the war, but we were winning and they don't, t- they didn't tell us why we right. had to stop. Yeah. A- and he has an interesting relationship to the war, too, because um, he assumed command on his ship after his captain uh, killed himself after refusing to back down when the war was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is like a pretty clear reference to that group in world war ii who stayed on the island uh until supposedly until today in like japan there's like an isolated there's island like somewhere. one guy yeah or yeah it ended it was like a couple people and then it's it got it got down to the one dude and he was just like refusing to believe the war was over and just like stayed like ready to fight on this place forever yeah uh, it's that sort of like you can't the, the boss doesn't tell me when the war ends i i determine when the war ends mm-hmm. 
which is really intense. Like they are not putting the Earth and Bari war behind them. Uh, just like no one, you don't put an actual like global war behind you in ten years. It takes more. It takes way longer than that to put to make it history. Right. Uh, a lot of intense conversations though with that that guy Colleen. Um and they talk about how yeah Sherrod didn't drop the uh, like I think he said he dropped like a I can't remember what kind of bomb it was but like basically nuked a fusion bomb a fusion like bomb he hid, yeah. he hid them in the asteroid belt yeah which is sick <laughs> but also sick in the negative way right um this bad guy start threatens to kill Delenn they realize this after some uh, some thinking. This is another fun moment where Sheridan does the Sinclair thing where he's like, everyone presented me with this information, but I found the secret third option, which is like, he's not here to kill the president or me. He's here to kill Delenn. Aha, I got it. Oh no, we have to go run and catch Delenn or else she's going to be dead in the, the cocoon. There's a lot. There's, yeah, I'm just, I have a lot of notes about like, wow, this part's crazy. Um, And then I guess they, they go to Delenn's place. The guy is in there. Um, and then how does he get caught? The villain guy, Ghislaine. Yeah. Oh, he, he puts a cyanide capsule on his tooth or whatever. Well, yeah, he's he is captured because he was about to kill Delenn, and then uh-huh. Lanier almost beats him up with his like his martial arts fingers that he does. Bari kung fu, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, Lanier has a great line where he's like, "If you're like, if you're gonna kill me, <laughs> kill me now. If not, I have a lot of work to do." Or whatever he says. Um, and then, yeah, he has the Mimbari equivalent of a cyanide capsule. Um, because the idea is that they're trying... this The the crew of the, of the Transylvania is trying to um, make it look like they are being attacked by Babylon 5. Right. To start... To, like, restart the war and die with honor. Yeah, they're trying to martyr themselves. Yeah. And then they actually get defeated by, like, the Mimbari war cruisers, right? Yeah, because Sheridan calls them in. And I love that moment where he's like, hey, thanks for the help. And the Mimbari guy is like, for you, this was just, like, a problem you had to solve. For us, this is, like, a huge, horrible loss. And you didn't get out of this seeming like a good guy to us. We still hate you. Yeah. <laughs> this is all still really fucked up. So yeah. don't act like the end of the episode fixed everything. Anyway, see ya. Bye. Blap. Yeah. Destroyed. Um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating how the Mimbari, when they don't have a reason to trust you, um, are really kind of violent. Like I always imagined the Mimbari as like peace first at all possible uh right Delen- we're finding more and more that delenn is not actually like representative of the mimbari like she literally is on babylon 5 but not as like in the metaphorical sense not at all yeah like her and lanier are actually like the calmest mimbari that we've met yeah and then maybe some members of the great council but even they are, are hot-headed to a certain extent but the warrior cast of Mimbari, yeah, they're they're violent and they're honor bound and they're kill their own men, like <laughs> they get really angry um at people. Um and like the guy that Sheridan's talking to at the beginning and he's saying, Look, the the um the tryptophan is nearby. Um you're gonna have to deal with it. 
And Sheridan's like, tell me, like, who are you? Tell me information. And the guy was like, I don't recognize your authority. Yo. <laughs> like, don't don't talk to me, dude. You I'm telling you as like much that. as I want to tell you. Yeah. And then I'm leaving. Uh, all of that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're learning this. I guess we kind of knew this, but just this hard and fast rule that the Mimbari have that they don't kill Mimbari. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even at the end of the episode, they don't kill the the other ship they just cut off its engines and try to capture them without killing them and then they kill themselves right yeah um and speaking of like Lanier and Delenn being the only calm ones like all this conflict is happening and and uh, he wanted to say Sinclair oh my god Sheridan is like yeah uh, we tough. gotta hand we gotta handle this and we gotta um like I have this is an important moment for me because if I don't get everyone's trust and work this out now then I'm starting out on the wrong foot and he's stressing about yeah, this. Like, and then, I'm going to start a, another war. Yeah, my on my first day on the job. Yeah. And meanwhile, Lanier is like, guys, we're fighting. Literally, the only way to beat the darkness is for these two idiot races to stop fighting each other. We're going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bigger war going on. Jakar, you mean, is saying that? I wrote here that Lanier says it, but you might be right. Oh, uh, well, be... Jakar, I guess, in the second episode is saying yeah. that same thing. Lanier is just remarking. He keeps calling it the darkness, the darkness. I know we're talking about the oh, shadows at this yeah, point. Yeah. Like, yeah. just being like, they don't go down unless we all... They go way deeper into this stuff in the second episode. But he mentions in this yeah. one that we can't keep having little conflicts like this if we're going to work together at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, So everyone's safe at the end of the day. And then there's like, a le- they, uh, there's like more endings in this episode than there are in any oh, other... Yeah. My God. Okay. The- I oh God, I want to talk just for a second. I'm on board for John Sheridan. Listen, okay. I'm like cool with him. He's a little handsome and he's a little like captain of the football teamy. Yeah. In a way that's sort of off-putting, but I can I can roll with it because it, he's like square-jawed captain on a sci-fi show and that just happens sometimes. Yeah. Um. And, like, we at first thought John Crichton was that, and then it's like, oh, he's actually crazy. Cool. He's crazy this, and sensitive. A good, and a good show. Great. Yeah. Um, so I think John Sheridan's going to move in that direction for us. I, why do we have this new character <laughs> who is in the credits yeah. and is, like, a fighter pilot guy or something? He gets a letter from home. It's like a hollow sex it's letter. It's like a lady who's like, I miss you. Like, look at my my crossed legs. My lingerie. And the guys are like, turn that off. then <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the episode, he's just hanging out with the main characters. Yeah, that's... And he's like, yeah, what do we think of the new captain, guys? And it's like, buddy, what do we think of you? Who, Who are, are you? Are you? <laughs> Get out of here. The only reason I know his name is because he wears a name tag on his his outfit, which is another like, hey, guys, look, it's me. I'm he totally goes in. I don't know a good comparison right now, but like they expect us to be like, oh, yeah, that guy. I didn't even notice him before. He's like our old friend. Like it's sort of it's sort of like how at the beginning of season five of Buffy, Dawn just exists. Oh, right. (laughs) You're supposed to accept as reality that Buffy's always had a sister. And then later it's revealed actually her sister is some like construct of the universe or something. Spoilers oh yeah, God, I forgot. I forgot. Um, it is like that though. It's exactly like that, except it's not going to be that explanation. It's no. just going to be we've decided that we want another white guy to be a main character on the show. I, um, <laughs> I only my only thing that I, that like potentially seems cool about that guy is 
he's just a pilot and we don't have anybody who's like we have a security guard we have like the lieutenant commander we have the commander and we have ambassadors yeah. so it's kind of cool to see someone who's like a little i'm like much lower on a the totem different pole. perspective i agree with that but he's introduced terribly <laughs> terribly not. introduced and it's not believable that if he's just a pilot he's gonna hobnob with the lieutenant commander and whoever else was at the table and like the head doctor yeah and he's just like a guy who's buddies drinking buddies with them yeah no 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 i don't believe that babylon 5 (laughs) babylon 5 you're usually so good about like not having all the characters sit at a big table and pretend like they're a ensemble it's not friends that's not what the show is. We specifically have 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 praised the show for not making a big deal out of like, look, they're all friends. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. His name is Keffer, by the way. Whatever. So. Is he gonna be in the rest of this stupid show? <laughs> I think he is. I think he's like a God. major character. Damn. <laughs> Maybe not like the most major, but he's definitely like <sighs> in it a lot, which is great. Um, all right. Well, I'll give him another chance. But this episode just expected me to. They're putting so much work. Like you were saying, into getting us to like John Sheridan. Yeah. And the fact that Ivanova knew him before gives him a lot of credibility to me. Yeah. Um, and she's like, without question, oh, he's great. He's a good guy. Um, but then they put no work into <laughs> into this other new main character who is in the opening credits, which, by the way, now sloppily shows a shot of every person and then like has a five. Whoosh, whoosh through them yeah it looks really dumb it does look really dumb it looks bad and dumb and takes too long uh that brings me into my first uh stray note by the way which is the new episode intro feels sloppy right now i'm gonna get used to it um even by the second episode i was like okay but it just feels like somebody is trying to remember the first one from memory and didn't like, yeah. write it down yeah 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 and they're getting and they, all like, the lines out, it of, out order. of order yeah exactly and he's just not hitting it the same way no when no. when Michael O'Hare would hit the the year is twenty two fifty eight. The name of the place is Babylon Five. You're yeah. like fuck yes. Here we go watching the show, but now it's like the year's twenty two fifty nine. The name of the place is Babylon Five. Yeah, it's a it's a very different. Can I just read it real quickly? It's a shorter one. I think. Yeah, read it for us. So the Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. A self-contained world five miles long, located in neutral territory. A place of commerce and diplomacy for a quarter of a million humans and aliens. A shining beacon in space, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. The year the Great War came upon us all. Uh, Which, hold on. What? (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) Thank you for telling us. Big stuff. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2259. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Like... It it feels out of order. I'm not used to it. And it's just, again, yeah, Bruce yeah. Boxleitner, good actor, maybe not the best narrator. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I really liked the Babylon Project was a dream given form. Yeah. That's such a great way to start talking about Babylon 5. That is, it, it's inspiring. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this was like a big deal that we made this. Anyway, not not as good as season one. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. I'm I'm still just getting used to the the new situations, and you know the episode ends with um, they're all talking and they're like, what? Another weird note about mm-hmm. them hanging out at the bar. Yeah. They specifically mention either in this episode or the second one that they are different bars depending on your rank. So there's a down below bar, which is where Garibaldi like 
got that bottle of alcohol from the other guy. Yeah. And then this is like the officer's bar. And it's like, oh, okay. why is this? Then that makes less sense. So why is, is he like here? the head of the fighter pilots or something? I, maybe. <laughs> I don't want to read about him because I don't. No. I'm just going to look and see if he's some, like what he is. Because the show did not tell me good. Yeah. Um, a member What's of Zeta Wing. Keffer? Warren Keffer. Yeah. K-E-F-F-E-R. Warren. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> Buffy has taught me to not trust yeah. anyone named Warren. He's the one we're going to hate. Yes. Uh, Lieutenant Warren Keffer. Okay. He's a male human and Earth Alliance pilot. He served as a Star Fury pilot on Babylon 5 and a member of Zeta Wing. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I just spoiled something nice. for myself about Warren Keffer. Classic Magellan move right there, everyone. <laughs> um, oh, hey. But never mind. He's he's not in the rest of the show. But Oh, so. he's not that big? No, he's not that big. He's big oh, this God. season and... The, then he's not that big anymore. Oh, they tried and then they gave up? Okay. That's, yeah. That's uh, as my students say sometimes, you tried it. <laughs> uh, this Mr. is not Fluke, it, Chief. You tried it. This is not it, Chief. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my take on Warren Keffer. This is not it, Chief. Not even a little bit. No, no, no. Um, I think that is it for the first one. Do you have any more notes on it? Just my last one is uh, there's a running bit. Another one of these like, guys, look. see, uh, sh- God. Oh, his bit with the Abraham Lincoln speech? Yeah, he keeps saying he's yeah. going to do this welcome speech, and he's like, or not welcome, it's like a something, he refers to it as a specific type of his, speech. His, like, good luck speech. Yeah, and... For um, taking command of a new command. His good luck speech, and he's like, I'm going to deliver it, it's going to be awesome, I practiced it. And then he keeps, like, getting to, like, Abraham Lincoln once said a quote that perfectly applies to what we're currently talking about. And then he opens his mouth, and then something interrupts him. It happens, like, three times, because it's the rule of threes. And then finally, at the end of the episode, he delivers it perfectly to an audience of no one. I like that. I like that moment. It's funny. Well, I think I, it's not supposed to be funny so much as, like, did he get his good luck or are things going to go bad? Oh, right. That too. He didn't it's sort he didn't of get amb- the... ambiguous omen. Yeah. The one thing he, he like, heavily prepared is just not... Um, it didn't go the right way. So like this, yeah. he's coming in very awkwardly into this, which is like appropriate, I think. Yeah. Um, that's all I have for this episode. Same Z's. Sweet Z's. Uh, I'd like to read some emails if that's okay with you. Do it. Um, we got some emails. We have, let's see here, one and two. Well, two of these are connected. And then we have, so basically two emails. Uh, okay. One from Marcus I and one from one. Dan. The one from Dan is about quality of mercy and chrysalis and then has a follow-up about season one that you don't have to read all, or I guess it's not that long, but basically he was like, you're probably going to read this like three, two or three weeks from now. So, you know, people can take that into account. This was written before we started season two. Okay. But how about you read the one from Dan? The season one follow-up? Or... Quality of mercy slash chrysalis and then season one follow-up are part of the same thing. Okay, got it. Um... Dan writes, we'll hear more about the death of personality sentence later on in Babylon 5, so it's a quandary that will come up again. Uh, that was the punishment for the serial killer guy in yep. Quality of Mercy. Right. Um, the Quality of Mercy suffers from another one of those viewing episodes out of the intended order hiccups, okay? This episode was to have aired before Legacies. 
because in this episode, Lanier lies in order to protect Londo's honor. Then in Legacies, that's how Londo knows that Mimbari can lie under certain circumstances, and he references an unnamed Mimbari lying on his behalf. Oh, okay, I didn't even catch that. What's both great and frustrating about the show is that you can assume that all of the big questions will get addressed and thoroughly answered, but the timetables for learning these answers can sometimes be painfully long. (laughs) Yes, we do get a lot of answers about Sinclair, but not so much in season two. We kind of got answers, but I guess there's more, or we want to see Sinclair learn about them, and if this is true. Right. I don't know. I'm, I'm sated for now. The show yeah, is doing its best. Definitely. Uh, Garibaldi's fate in Chrysalis is heavily telegraphed in the episode TKO. Right at the beginning of that episode, yep. Walker Smith warns Garibaldi that he never watches his back. And at the end of the episode, Walker reminds him that he needs to watch his back. At this point, if you're familiar with seeing Delenn with hair, then don't worry about any spoilers from season two opening credits, because the spoiler in the credits is that they show Delenn with the hair before she's exited the Chrysalis in the show. We'll talk about that in our discussion of episode two. I think you guys guys pretty much cracked why Morden chose to go with Londo over Jakar. It comes from his question from Signs and Portents. Jakar's ambition only went as far as striking back at the Centauri. Ah, there were many answers that would have suited Morden when he asked that question, but Londo's answer worked because, to quote JMS himself, it had just the right mix of resentment, nostalgia, ambition, frustration, and a sense of displaced destiny. Ooh. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the scene in Chrysalis between Morden and Londo feeling very very Twilight Zone because Ed Wasser, the actor portraying or playing Morden, was chosen in part because he gave off a Rod Serling vibe. Yeah, he does. He super does, yeah. Super does. Um and then Dan goes on to say, New new listener Daniel referenced last week that Babylon Five was shown as part of the Primetime Entertainment Network, which gave me terrible flashbacks. Warner Brothers were just selling blocks of syndicated television to networks all over the place, which often meant that the show was playing on different local stations all over the world and at terrible time slots on different days, depending on what market you lived in. As someone in NYC, uh, so someone in NYC might see it on a Wednesday night at 10 p.m., and someone in Albany might see it on a Thursday at 9 p.m. Hmm. And occasionally the UK saw some of these episodes months before the US audience saw them. The fandom always had to tiptoe around one another because it was never clear who had seen what at any given time. (laughs) That's nuts. It's amazing that the show ran its five-year course. Holy crap, that's crazy. Yeah, man. Uh, And then Dan sends us a follow-up email where he says, uh, should I read all this? No, I would would basically just summarize what he's talking about in these. Basically, um, you can read the first paragraph, and then you can say, like, he said about, he sent us a bunch of cool little, like, tidbits about season one. Uh, then Dan sends us another email entitled season one follow-up where he says, uh, he says Alan. So he's just talking to you. Yeah. Uh, I'm not allowed to see this. Nope. I guess. Is that true? No, you are. It's because I asked about the books. Got it. Uh, you may recall from that email about the Babylon five books that I'd mentioned the script books that contain the original scripts from the episodes. And while being prohibitively expensive to get now, they give an interesting look into the show as it was originally scripted versus the show that ended up on the screen. It seems like it might be fun fodder for your season one review, uh, well, but we can talk about it now, uh, to consider some of the major differences between the scripts and the show we ultimately got in the first season. Uh, the first one here, Ambassador Delenn, was originally going to be male, which is interesting. Um, Especially considering her turn the season. 
Um, JMS says that Delenn was supposed to be an androgynous, uh, male still played by a woman. Um, but that it didn't happen because they were going to use voice modulation on Mira Furlan's voice. Um, and it sounded bad. So they just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, ambassador Kosh, uh, was from the Vorlon empire. They were originally meant to be reptilian, um, and the advancement in military rank within their society just meant killing your superior officer and taking their place. Um, they were going to be far more segregated and militaristic than what they end up being. There was going to be a Vorlon civil war. Um, and originally it looks like Kosh was supposed to have a wife named Velana, <gasps> with whom he's always telepathically linked. And it was to be her uh, to scan him when he was poisoned and not Lita. Interesting. Um, Lita was the telepath in the movie The Gathering. Exactly right. She she comes back by the way. I think she becomes she comes like fully back to the show. Oh, okay. Um she was originally supposed to continue to be on the show. Um and I guess we'll see more of her later. You can pretty well graft the characters from The Gathering to the ones we got on the show. Laurel got replaced with Ivanova. I don't even remember Laurel. Oh, she I, like the thing is like there's a lot of trivia about her like you're gonna read, but she was only in like two or three scenes. She's like the Asian woman that was in the cockpit, right? Uh, Doctor Kyle, um, who was originally meant to be Indian and named Doctor Chakri Mendak, yikes, got, got replaced <laughs> with Franklin, and Lita got replaced with Talia. Uh, that sounds right. Londo was originally named Londo Kolari instead of Molari. Um. Jakar's name was originally spelled J A C K A R. Jakar. Worse spelling. Yes, not as much. Cool. I love apostrophes. <laughs> um, oh, sometimes apparently closed captioning still spells Jakar in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was originally going to be a character named Mr. Jones, who was going to be mysterious and powerful, but also an ally to Sinclair. I suspect that this character was a proto Mr. Morden and mm-hmm. that relationship between Mr. Jones and Sinclair got shifted over to Morden and uh, Londo. Some other random stuff. So uh, there was going to be a throwaway line that explained where Laurel went uh, to some secret mission. Sinclair asked the soul hunter if he can feel the deaths from Babylon four. And the soul hunter says, no, they're still alive. Uh, the real Kosh was going to kill the fake Kosh in grail. Um, but then he didn't. Garibaldi mm. tries to get in touch with his dying father and fails to make contact before his father's death. And that seems like it was shifted over to Ivanova's story. Mm-hmm. And then Garibaldi originally maintains a Londo favorite. fund <laughs> that's meant to repay him for the money that Londo steals from him. This way he doesn't go broke and he avoids a diplomatic incident by going after Londo. Um, that's fun. Send us more stuff like that, Dan, if you can, because that's I, I love that stuff. Yeah, and I can't feasibly buy the script books right now because they're like not for sale anywhere, yeah. and it's hard to find files of them. So like that's that's the secret info that we can't really get otherwise. Uh, but cool, very cool. A lot of that stuff I had suspected. Like I heard about Takashi, like the you know actor becomes other actor after the movie, and Takashima becoming Ivanova, but also like Takashima was going to become a traitor and all this stuff mm-hmm. is cool. Um, uh, but I don't know. You know, so uh, stuff you could you could write like a whole script book like that about any show because I'm sure tons of things get redrafted when you make the actual show, hmm. uh, like when it goes to production. 
Uh, our final email this week is from our friend Marcus, uh, who's, first of all, this uh, email is uh, subject line, Chrysalis Delicious, which is great. <laughs> uh, and he says, greetings A&M, which I really like that we're, uh, we're, the, we're A&M now. Because uh-huh. it makes me think about, uh, what is tech, why is it called Texas A&M? Good question. I know someone who uh, graduated from there. Yeah? It's like... It, oh, now I just need to know really quickly. I'm sorry. Uh, Agricultural and mechanical. Agricultural okay. and mechanical. Thanks. Uh, he says, you made it. We did make it. Uh, hmm. With season one of The Bag. And in Chrysalis, you have seen to me what is one of the first truly excellent episodes of the show. Hmm. You're right in saying that everything is fudged, and it's difficult to overstate the significance of these events. Uh, I still remember the shock I felt when they actually killed the president. Yeah. Uh, Garibaldi was shot, and the purple space crabs just obliterated the Narn colony in seconds. I couldn't believe they got they went there yeah it's great it's big i get your frustrations at sinclair's plot being uh, or kind of getting the shaft but without spoiling i'm pretty certain that the revelation about the mimbari's interest was always the plan rather than a retcon as magellan suspected okay uh, and the only change was in how and when it was delivered as you're aware we will see him again and i think our boy jeff does get a very satisfying conclusion to his arc okay that's good uh, wow. This one I actually knew, but we haven't talked about it really explicitly. An interesting fact about O'Hare's departure is that JMS only revealed the depth of his mental illness after uh, Michael O'Hare died in 2012, as he made a promise to O'Hare that he would keep it a secret until he passed away. From what I've read, JMS did his absolute best to make the exit as clean as possible and keep it a secret. Uh, and if that's not a classy showrunner move, I don't know what is. Yeah, I that's agree. really good. Like, just a, there was clearly a really tough conversation that had to happen between the two of them that ended with like, hey, don't. Like, I want you to tell people about this, but only when I'm gone. Hmm. Uh, regarding the quality of mercy, like you, I enjoyed this as a morality play. And shout out to you for digging into the implications of the personality death versus actual death sentences. Uh, this is something that will come up in a more personal way in a future episode. And I'm excited to see whether it will change your minds, especially you, Alan, on the hmm. ethics of personality death. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's one of my favorite conversations we've had. That was some good stuff. Um, just to toot our own horn. Uh, one thing to note about Londo's uh, appendages is that they're yeah. similar not to Kosh, but to the fake Kosh from Grail, who Londo said was actually a monster from Centauri space. Oh, so things from Centauri... I understand it now. So we still don't actually know anything about what's under Kosh's toilet suit, and the mystery continues. All right. Um, there is a... Oh, this is... Yeah, finally, he's had an unfortunate realization as he's continued his rewatch. I bought all the DVD box sets years ago and dug them out after being frustrated at how bad the show looked on Amazon. Surely enough, the quality is noticeably better on the DVDs. The prime transfers are darker, blurrier, and choppier, especially in the CG sequences, which is frustrating as some of them are really thrilling. I know it's a stretch to imagine you both would spend the cash to buy them, but all I can say is that the difference is not subtle. Hmm. I would love to, if they were vaguely affordable, I would at least buy like a season or two yeah. uh, of the show. I'm excited for your season one recap and uh, your enjoyment of this first watch has inspired me to pitch it to my fiance to give it a shot. We just watched Parliament of Dreams and so far I think she's into it. Nice. That's awesome. Great. Get your family, get your whole family into Babylon 5. Get obsessed like I've been getting obsessed, like we've been getting obsessed. Hmm. Speaking really briefly of the oh, depths yeah. of our obsession, yeah. Um, we have a sort of new mini segment that I want to do before we go to break. So at this point in the show, they started putting out Babylon 5 literature, you could mm. call it. And um, I, uh, I asked listener Dan to recommend me which books are worth reading and where they fit into the canon without spoiling anything. Um, basically, there are like eight, I think, numbered Babylon 5 books that were all written 
not I don't think all written by the same author, but written by like similar authors, and they're all just like little adventures on Babylon Five. Um, What's the like canon, the canonness of these? They're all question. Well, I think he was saying that was my other question was like which ones of these are canon, and he was like most of them are non-canon in the sense that like it's like a filler episode of an anime where nothing changes, but it's like cool because it is those characters. Right. And then only the one that's like to dream in the, the one that has the really sad name that we talked about during the recap, the dream in the Valley of nightmares or whatever. Uh He's like, that one is extremely Canon. The rest of them are like, eh. And then some of them actually contradict the show. So like they're, those are firmly non-Canon, but they're all fun. Um, and I picked up recently the first one of the, of the batch, which is called, uh, Babylon five book. Number one voices. Uh, which was written by John Vornholt and uh, is meant to take place after season two, episode one and uh, before the end of season two. So um, I've read the first two chapters of this book. It's pretty short. They're kind of like, um, they're really small. And I got this like really, it's got like the good yellowing, like crusty old sci-fi novel uh, wear and tear on it, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And they sell for like $4 on Amazon. Like people are just like giving these away. They're great. Uh, Basically the premise of this one is that there was going to be a Psycor uh, conference, like a major Psycor conference on Mars, on the Mars colony. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the book starts uh, from the perspective of Mr. Gray from Eyes, uh, the like uh, nice telepath. Okay, yeah. And Mr. Gray runs into uh, Bester, which uh, is really funny because Bester in the book is portrayed as more like like not sexual but like kind of like <laughs> mysterious in like a really cool way like you're supposed to think yeah. Bester's really fucking cool yeah um and mr gray is just like oh like i lost my leader because ari ben zane was a monster and you lost your subordinate because the girl like got killed or whatever by uh by jason ironheart when he became so like do you want to be best friends and bester's like hmm, maybe i will consider this and as they're talking and kind of like not flirting but basically flirting um they just walk by and they're like let's go down this elevator oh no terrorists blew up the mars thing the place where the the conference was going to happen what are we going to do is that concurrent with the mars stuff that was happening last season or is that different mars stuff well no because it happens in after season two episode one so i see it, it would be happening now um so they're like, well, now we can't do the the conference. What are we going to do? And they bring up the idea to Sheridan. And Sheridan is like, we have a pl- This would be so great, guys. This would be so fun. Can we do it here? Or I guess um, Talia is the one who hears about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she brings it up to Sheridan. He's like, yeah, I love, like, this would be such a good idea. Because then, like, I know we hate Psycorp, but, like, if they work with us, they'll have no reason to hate us. So let's host the conference on Babylon 5. There will be no problem with that. And hey guys, spoilers! There are problems with that. The, the it's like the five hundred uh, most powerful psych uh, telepaths ever are all on Babylon Five at the same time, mm. uh, and they try to like set ground rules. And it's mostly focusing on Talia and Garibaldi. Um, Talia is trying to like reckon with her uh, distrust of Psychor, and Garibaldi is trying to. He's basically it's basically the worst ever day in Michael Garibaldi's life because mm. he's like the single security chief. And he's like, we don't have enough. Like, are we going to have enough security? And Sheridan's like, no, dude, you're not. It's going to suck. And if I hired you extra help, then you wouldn't know who they are because they'd be like mercenary help. And you don't want mercenary cops in a psychic conference. That's a bad idea. Mm. So you're going to have like three guys and you have to wrangle all these like grumpy psychics together and hope that no one dies. Um, and so that's the kind of the setup for what I've read so far. Um, 
I am just so fascinated with the way this Vornhorg guy writes like character introductions because it feels like really good fan fiction mostly like the descriptions of the ship are good and the like the setting feels very uh vivid and and makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. but every time a character comes on screen it's just like what this guy when he watched the show thought about the actor <laughs> right like there was some examples of that so sheridan comes on and it's like from Garibaldi's perspective, like, man, I forgot how handsome and distinguished John Sheridan hmm. was. Hmm. I can't be, I, maybe I will never be that distinguished, but like, man, that guy's really got it going on. And then, uh, Ivanova comes on and the guy really doesn't have like a nest, a perfect picture of her, but what he talks about is her eyes. And he's yeah. like, her eyes can convince anyone to do anything. <laughs> anything she looks at can, will follow her orders. And it's like very, very gross of him to say that. And then easily my favorite is him talking about Talia uh let me find the exact wording here let me open this crusty crusty book uh he just it's it's just like women in particular he just really uh he's a bit it's a bit horny tolly winters looked away wondering if the problems on mars would ever end she had an appointment so she couldn't dwell on her own little problems with a sigh she continued her stroll down the main corridor as usual heads turned to watch talia but she paid them no attention she was a beautiful woman with sleek blonde hair, an intelligent face, and a long-legged body wrapped in a tailored gray suit. Her P5 psi level was only average, but her classy presence at a meeting or negotiation was as much in demand as her telepathic abilities. Like, ugh, yummy. Hmm. <laughs> um, and her first scene is her and Kosh basically recreating that part where he, like, it's actually really charming um kosh is like i need you to be the telepath for my meeting and she's like kosh like why do you keep asking me i'm not i like i know i'm the only telepath but like what is it with what all these meetings you're having and kosh obviously says nothing important and then he's like my guest has arrived and she's like Hmm. there's nobody sitting here and he's like she is invisible yeah and Talia's like, what? And he's like, she's stand- she's sitting right there. I swear, her name is like Invisible Mar- Susan or something. <laughs> Ivan- it's uh, Talia's like, are you, Kosh? Are you just? Do you just want to eat dinner with me? Did you just like do this to yeah. ask me out? <laughs> is that what we're doing? And he's like, no, she's right there. Scan her. I promise you, she's there. And then she does, and she's like, briefly, she noticed somebody in the scan, and then they disappeared immediately. And she's like, Kosh, what happened? Why? Like, there was a girl there, and then she wasn't. And she's like, and then Kosh is like, she left. She felt embarrassed. (laughs) 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 But I swear she was there. Anyways, thanks for the meeting. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. So it's a lot of that. It's a lot of good character moments, and it's very silly. I'm going to try and read more than a couple chapters every week now, just to, because it's like, again, pretty short. But Mm -hmm. um, I will keep people updated with my, my thoughts on these Babylon 5 books as I go through them. Great. Lovely. Ooh. So um, for now, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to be right back to discuss Revelations. Welcome back to Chatsalon 5. The second episode we watched this week was Season 2, Episode 2, 
Revelations, written by J. Michael Straczynski, directed by Jim Johnston. It aired November 11th, 1994, and it takes place Thursday, January 12th through, sorry, oh yes, Thursday, January 12th through Thursday, January 19th of 2259. Alan, what happened in Revelations? Well, in this episode, Jakar returns to the station with a warning while Michael Garibaldi awakens from his coma and Delenn emerges from her chrysalis. We got the whole squad back together. Yeah, this is the gangs back in town episode, much more. The first episode is like, hey, here's Sheridan. He's cool, right? Here's his first mission. And this one is like, we got to reset. We got to hit a hard reset right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone's back. Um, I feel like this episode is less fun, but it's we're learning more interesting things. Yeah, it's necessary. Very much so, yeah. And it's definitely, it feels important and engaging for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not as exciting as the first one. For sure. And it's it's fun, like, we're getting, like, it, there are fun parts. We're getting all the characters back. I missed Londo a lot. When Londo came back, I, like, cheered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there he is, even though he's not in good a good space right now. No. Uh, no. <laughs> Both Natoth and Lanier are just like, uh, do we, so we don't have a boss anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who writes my paychecks? Like, right. The, we open on a, on a meeting. Is this the first scene, I think? A meeting of the council on Babylon 5. And basically, Natoth and Lanier are like, uh, we can't yes. make decisions without our bosses. So we vote to do nothing. <laughs> right. Londo says, I vote to be mad at them. And nobody backs him up. Uh, and of course, Kosh doesn't have a chair. He's <laughs> just standing there. You can't imagine Kosh sitting. Come on. No, no, no. <laughs> Sheridan is like, no, we need to call recess. Not You guys are being children, which is very like, you are the new boss on Babylon 5. This is the way you should react to things like this. It's just like, guys, stop, stop. <laughs> just chill yeah. for five minutes. And they're talking about the recent attack on Quadrant 37, the whole the like moment at the end of last season. Uh, we cut back to Jakar, who is piloting a Frazi-class heavy fighter uh, with with uh, two other fighters on his side over a mysterious planet near the rim of known space, um, and they're being attacked by some strange aliens. Uh, the They have like a little war movie moment where the other ships choose to stick, stick around, and he says, I'll escape through a jump gate, and sets his coordinates for Babylon 5, and that's where we hit the cold open. Mm-hmm. Um so I think we can go character by character, maybe. I think that works, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's start with Jakar. He is coming across... But he's trying to investigate what exactly happened uh, at... What was the place? It's not Ragesh 3. Is that a different thing? or was it Yeah, Ragesh 3 is the thing from the first episode. Quadrant 37 is the... Quadrant 37. Crazy. Yeah. Um, he's trying to understand what happened at Quadrant 37, where Londo basically said to Morden... Uh, yeah, take care of them. And then some sort of evil space monsters took care of them. Um, and what Jakar is realizing is the galaxy is uh, screwed because there's something scary. <laughs> and we all need to work together and set aside our differences to fight it. So he tries to tell everybody that's what, that's what he's planning to do. And he's going to get proof that they exist. Uh, and he's to Natath, he's like, things are pretty bad. And then um, he they send an expedition to try to get some proof, but whoopsie, he shouldn't have told the council because Londo tells Morden about it. Uh-oh. This yep. gave me Ajita. 
dude. This like yeah, this was this was a lot. Because you know what's happening, like you know what's coming. They say a, a particularly because right before this, uh, Morden is like, "Hey, Londo, you, you, I'm happy. You're happy. If you need me to blow up another like colony, go ahead and tell me. Just like t- just like tiny favor, right? Like this is small, right? Just like, if anyone says anything cool or interesting or weird, and you think it's like worth telling me, just let me know. You got You should let me know, right? That seems fair. And it's like okay. And then they immediately say a thing that's huge, and he shouldn't know it. And then Londo's like, "Hey." So they know about the colony, and Morden's like, huh, interesting. All right, thanks, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And then Jakar puts it together that Londo must have told someone. Right. Uh, so Which is great. Really, yeah, he really hates Londo even more. <laughs> and that's going to blow up. Something is probably literally going to blow up. Yeah. Uh, if it's not clear enough from the show, maybe we've had it spoiled, but like, Morden's working with those guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's super crystal clear at this point. Yeah. Maybe we don't know what they're called yet, but we know 100%. Yeah, he's working with these. The people on that planet. Yeah. Uh, it's really intimidating. All the, all the Jakar stuff is just like, we said we want Jakar to come back and we want him. And he said he's going to have a cool mohawk and all this stuff. Um, because he is entertaining and funny and also really motivated. And, and the nice thing about him is he was set up in the movie to be the jerk of the show yeah and to be constantly trying to mess with everybody but he's he's kind of redeemed himself at this point and he's the one guy with his head on straight saying look we're about to get attacked by an old race of scary (laughs) space bats or whatever they are right Nightmare tentacles are coming for us and we need to work together. Like he's becoming linear from last episode being like, we got to get ready. Yeah. He's, he's being reasonable and he's trying to create a coalition among people who hate each other. And Londo, who is our sweet darling boy mm-hmm. is selling his dang, his dang old soul. And I won't have this. I think both of these things work though. Like it makes me unhappy, but they work like Jakar going from like, ready to screw people over at a moment's notice to trying to save people works because no one believes him at first when he says like these guys are coming for us and Londo going from like uh perfect sneaky boy to like trapped by fate also works really well because it's it's tragic and sad right um so those are those are our sort of like big plays of of the episode between those two gentlemen uh does anything else bigger happen uh with the planet and Jakar not really. Did you notice Natath was played by a different person? The voice was very different. Mm-hmm. The voice was so different that I was like, whoa, shit. Like, I, I, I immediately remembered that we had read that, yeah. Um, I didn't think she looked that different. I think the makeup is Mm-mm. pretty similar, but yeah, she definitely job of it. sounded very, very similar. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, because this is all important stuff. Like, I'm trying to just see where they find themselves at the end of the episode with with the bad guys. It's not really the most highly prioritized plot because by the end of the episode, we see the council again, but it's when Delenn is returning to them. Oh, right. So I think right now with Jakar and Londo, we're just setting up. Londo is the now the puppet of these evil guys and Jakar is onto something, but nobody believes him. That's all we really need to know. Right. And, and, it's worth noting this is episode, this season is called the coming of shadows so mm-hmm. like they're not here yet 
um, they're on their way. And they're so it's coming. Like, yeah, hey, they're coming. It's <laughs> it's a buildup more than it is a payoff, which is fine. Um, there's that great line from Jakar, though. Weep for the future, Natoth. Weep for us all, which is yeah. just ominous. Just, he's just ominous. sitting in his red room. <laughs> saying that. Like, How you weeping. been, bud? And he's like, weep for us. <laughs> I'm weeping. Are you weeping? You better be weeping. I don't see <laughs> seriously, weeping. seriously, weep. Like we're gonna die. You better weep. Oh, it's bad. Oh boy. Uh, Garibaldi deals with the fallout of um, how much time that he missed. It's clearly yeah. supposed to be huge, and it, it works. Like that performance is good enough that he wakes up and he's like, "All right, we well, got to tell." What like a couple weeks, right? Yeah, it was uh, in, literally in like a, like a week or two in 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 universe time. Yeah, like two three weeks. So he's like, yeah, we got to go tell Sinclair about the assassin. They're going to kill the president. And they're like, bud, bud. <laughs> president's it's season dead. two now, Garibaldi. We've got some new things going on. There's this guy. He's like a fighter pilot. And he came on the bar with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just won't leave us alone. He's so weird. Um, we have a new captain now. And then Sheridan's like, hi, my name's John Sheridan. He's like, get, get the fuck out of here. You're not <laughs> I don't know boss. you. <laughs> Don't talk to me. He's like, no, and no, no. Sher- we'll- Sheridan's like, you're right. You don't know me, but we're the same character, so we'll get along yeah. just fine. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually serve the same role here, so it will be perfect. It'll be great. Um, Garibaldi goes about figuring out uh, who assassinated him or who attempted to to kill him and who like initiated all the plot of last season's finale. Yep. Um, he gets he- Talia to read his mind to figure it out. Yep. She realizes it's that guy, Jack, I believe was his name. Sure. And- why not? The whole like it's behind you, but you realized who it was all along. Oh my god, it was Jet. It's that guy, and lucky he just walks into the a, room. Lucky, yeah. First of all, what <laughs> he's just hovering with his hand on his gun. Yep, ready to, sh- to shoot this guy in front of like the bosses of the whole ship. Like that's a power play, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. That doesn't make any sense because he's waiting to see if Garibaldi knows it was him. Yeah. So why would he go into the room to kill Garibaldi before saying it was him if then it's just him who just killed him in front of Yeah, you're the one who did it. I recognize you. Like, if you saw him, you'd be like, oh, that's who it was. The guy who tried to kill me. At this point, he shouldn't be trying to contain Garibaldi from saying anything because Garibaldi's already said everything he knows. Right. It's just dumb. It's stupid. Just, um, yeah, excise this plot for me, please, guys. Also, it's silly that there was a mirror in Garibaldi's memory where he oh, saw yeah. the guy's face. <laughs> that was stupid. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's how you knew, because there was a conveniently placed mirror. Yeah. Yeah, just simple narrative justification. And that's basically what he's got. Is He's like, oh, no, I'm like, I almost tr- I thought I trusted this guy. Um, It really doesn't work for me when people talked about how, like, the guy in... uh. TKO was like, don't trust people, Garibaldi, because I don't think it was his trust that, trust that got him attacked. No, no, it's not about trust. It's about physically watching your back. Right. right, Or, or yeah, like this guy shot you in the back. I guess you're right. Um, but that's kind of where we, we leave him is he's kind of like worried about this stuff and uh, is rejoining the show. You know, it's nice to have him back. Yeah. Um, well, then then he finds the guy who tried to kill him and does a weird interrogation where he has a cane. Oh yeah. To, Garibaldi to, with a cane to make him seem cool. He bangs it on the table. Mm-hmm. He's like, who do you, who are you working for? Earth, uh, um, home guard. And so we learned that actually maybe home guard is just a bunch of schmucks. Um, 
and the guy does Bester's salute, which seems to indicate that the Psycor is actually pulling some strings or some faction within them. Yeah, if the show hadn't told me that, I wouldn't have thought that was a cool moment. It just seemed weird because he does like a fake hat tip. That's the salute. Yeah, right. Um, And then later they're like, yeah, that's the Bester salute, guys. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. Okay. Continuing the thing we already knew, yeah, which is I, that Psycor is Yeah. On my own. Um, but yeah, Psycor is a big deal. The, the Illuminati still is a threat. Absolutely. Uh, the psychic Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Um, does anything big happen with Ivanova specifically this episode or not really? Um, she's sort of just around for the Garibaldi stuff. She's checking in on him to see if he's mm-hmm. awake. She's, um, she patches the message from the president through to Sheridan. Um, and this is a, like a creepy moment. Uh, the president is like, Hey Sheridan, I heard that maybe you have a lead on this guy who's related to the president's assassination plot. Uh, just send him to me with all of the evidence, if you could. Send him directly be, to me. Yeah. On a ship with all the evidence, by the way, put all the evidence on there too. Yeah. And send it to me. Him and the evidence. Thanks. And, bye. Click. And I'll take care of it if you just send all the evidence too. Do you have okay? any leftover evidence? Just toss it in there. <laughs> yeah. Just throw anything that's evidence. I want that <laughs> to me. To me, please. With him send. and the ship. <laughs> him, ship evidence send me now thank you where's the evidence i've been looking around do you have the evidence if so send it to me, me with a ship me along bad with credit card evidence bad plot me send thank guy you to send me bad evidence guy man okay me so guy. me villain that is that is funny stuff but the funniest moment in this episode and probably in, in both of these episodes is uh so Jack is in his quarters because he's trying to escape being caught, and mm-hmm. the cops are just incredibly fascist, and they're just like, "Dude, it's what's up? Like, how you doing? It's us. The other, it, we're like your friends. Uh, Delenn's out there. She came out of her cocoon. She looks like a butterfly, dude. It's sick. You gotta go see it." And he goes hmm. outside and they clock him in the head, and he's knocked out. Like, hmm. great job, cops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> incredible work. I feel like a freaking cartoon moment. It's so silly. Yeah. And then, yeah, contrasting that with the interrogation where Garibaldi is like, hey, so I'm going to space you, which means I'm going to throw you out of the airlock. And I'm ready. I have the button like at ready as soon as we decide to do this. So prepare to die, bud. Um, Um, And so then Sheridan does send him to the president. And Ivanova's like, whoa, actually, uh, he got transferred to a different ship that looks like one of our ships and isn't. And yeah, right. Confirmed. Looks like our ship disguised isn't us. Has all the evidence. Did we mention the evidence from earlier? Yeah. All we gone. All, yeah, we put all that evidence in there. Foolish. Foolish of you. So yeah. Psycorp just has just cleaned up their own plot in like two seconds. Great job, guys. Yeah. So the thing, because if Sinclair was still commander, he would have said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not sending yeah. you this guy. But Sheridan kind of presents himself as a tough guy, though he's way more by the book than Sinclair is. He's willing to say yes to authority in a way that I don't like, but that's also because he was a warrior here, like he's worked with them, yeah, as a, as a military man, and they're using that against him. Uh, I think they're setting up Sheridan for like a much bigger tragic arc where he has to learn to become distrusting of authority, right? Because right now he's still like, yeah, I'll give them the evidence, right? It's the president. I work for the president. Yeah, he's the pre- he won for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sheridan the centrist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then uh, I want to talk. We'll talk about the Sheridan thing last because it's it's very very self contained, but it is important to talk about. Um, but is it important? To it talk about? it will be kind of. I have a okay. feeling. I yeah. smell it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Delenn comes back. Delenn's got hair. Well, hold on. First, she's in the chrysalis, yep. and then she comes out. And oh she's yeah, like, linear. Yeah. <laughs> and Lanier says, hey, it's a big Jawa. What's up? <laughs> and then she's like, no, Lanier, my skin, it looks like Apocalypse from the Justice League <laughs> TV <totally> show. Like, <laughs> yes. And she's he's a like, rock woman. Whoa, let me get Dr. Franklin in here. And then they get Dr. Franklin in there. And, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> and he's like, this is crazy. And she's like, yeah, it has to be you. And he's like, why? Is it supposed to do this? And she says, I don't know. I don't know. This is all new. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense if Dr. Franklin is called in or there. Because she's like, I'm not sick. But check this out. This is nuts, huh? I need you to help me recover, though. Well, because I think they have some line about, like, we can't have Minbari emergency people here because they don't know about this. And, uh... So we needed like a neutral party to help me rec- with the recovery process. I see. But then he's just again he's like this is not any this isn't in any of my books. I don't know what to do about this. I'm going to yeah. like look at you in shock and that's all I got. Um and then Lanier says, "Hey guys, uh Delenn wants to come back. Can she come back?" And they say, "Yeah, sure. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be sick. Bring her out. Let's check her out. Let's see the the like wah, it's like wah, wah. Wow. Right, it, it's kind of framed like yeah, either. I've been really trying. <laughs> it, it's framed like either. Good. It's framed like either. Uh, she is going coming downstairs after putting on her prom dress, or she's yes. the nerd who took her glasses off. Yeah, it's that scene in the Princess Diaries where they're like, "Yeah, what if we take off your glasses and give you different hair?" Yeah, and oh shit, and Hathaway's under there. <laughs> yeah. It and is she's... exactly that, because then immediately they're all like, oh, hey, Delenn, and Sheridan's like, whoa. Oh my god, oh, damn. God damn. damn. He, he's telling, we'll talk about his plot, but he's telling his sister, oh, then she walked in, she's, she's fucking sexy. Yeah, oh, she's man. like hot now. <laughs> they dropped it's... the whole androgynous, like, gender fluid thing, and now she's just like a woman-ass woman. It's sick. Right, yeah. I'm Weird, disappointed. Huh? I'm disappointed. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> me too. Same. It's way less sci-fi to just be like she has weird head things and she has hair now. And also, I don't think her skin is even different colored. Like she just looks like. I think Mira it is. I think it was like gray before, grayish, and now it's just not. That's what I mean. Yeah, now it's just skin color-y. It's like human, yeah, pinkish skin tone. Yeah, which I understand because she says the reason I took on this form was to. Sort of like bridge. I want to bridge the gap between humans and Minbari. Cool concept that she's, I guess, part human now, or she's halfway between, and it relates to whatever the Sinclair has a Minbari soul idea. But yeah, a the little fact fraught that, to be like uh, now you can have, now I'm sexually attractive. Right. Then that the fact that now I would imagine there's going to be some sort of like love tension between her and Sheridan because like Sheridan's whole plot is about him letting go of his, his dead wife. (laughs) And then it ends with him seeing this other uh, woman and being like, Ooh, la la. 
So yeah, it's weird that she has to become part human and have hair to be a sexual character. Right. Uh, it's that's gonna. I I'm not excited for where that goes. If that becomes a romance plot, I'm gonna be super bored by that. Like, yeah, this show has done so far a really good job about not like when it does lean into romance. It's got it's either like some form of deeply tragic, uh, like with Londo and uh, everyone, or um, <laughs> <laughs> or like the millions of old lovers that come and then go because they realize they have oh differences that can't be reconciled. Um, speaking of old lovers, it feels <sighs> like. And we had talked about this before recording, but mm-hmm. um, it feels like the writers of the show heard people say, man, every time you want to introduce new characters for the main people to talk to or like have relationships with, it's always an old lover. It's always an old lover. And they're yeah. like, okay, that's, I get that. That's very, that's very valid and cool. Like we'll work on that. <laughs> yep. And then somebody took a, like a, like a sharp One of their whiteout pens and they yeah. <laughs> went over the word lover. Yeah. And wrote sister. <laughs> so uh, but I didn't change any of the lines really abs- or the like physical blocking of right. the scenes. It's filmed like they're old lovers, but they, the difference is they also crossed out every time she'd call him John and they wrote Johnny to be like, no, it's like a brother. Like it's fine. <laughs> I did not realize they were siblings until 35 minutes into the episode. Yeah. I was convinced, I mean, at first, when I first saw her, I was like, oh, okay, Sheridan is meeting with an old lover, because she's like, it's been two years since we've seen each other, uh, like, we we can't even talk to each other, whatever, whatever, uh, and I'm like, okay, they're old lovers, and then she says, your, your freaking wife is dead, and she was my friend, and then I'm like, okay, it's his wife's friend, but then there, she's like, likes him, and is going to admit that. And they're going to do a thing. And then uh, only when he was watching the video message from his his uh, dead wife. Yep. And she was like, that's a hell of a brother you got there. You were like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, whoops. 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 Yeah. Okay. It's I like when the main characters have siblings um, yeah. on TV shows because it's like a it's supposed to be a different a completely different relationship from a lover or like an old an old friend like there's something yeah. specifically about being a sibling but i feel like elizabeth sheridan is just uh a vessel for us to to talk to like for sheridan to vent at yes. because at first it's like we haven't talked it's not about their relationship it's not like it starts with like we haven't talked in 2 years like let's talk about something for real for once and that's like a nice moment and then he's like yeah i really i'm sad and I'm drowning myself in my work because I keep thinking about my dead wife. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm now going to be the mouthpiece that you can uh, talk your problems at and, and your feelings at until you come to a conclusion at the end of this episode. Right. And like you were saying in the first episode, it, it seems like the show is trying to put us on the fast track towards liking Sheridan uh-huh. because the first episode was all about like, He's this well-respected guy. Look, he's got this Abraham Lincoln speech. Ivanova thinks he's a good man. Um, Yeah, he's got a bloody past, but he's already not wishing it wasn't there, Mm -hmm. sort of. And then this episode is like, and he has love in his heart, and he's sad. Mm -hmm. You got to like this guy. His wife died. His wife died. Please like him. Come on. Please clap. Yeah. Uh, his wife Anna. I don't know if they explain how she died. She died two years earlier, 
Um, she was on some ex- some scientific exposition in the rim. Exposition. Expedition. <laughs> Thank you. It's an easy mistake. No, you're good. <laughs> um, most likely, it's related to the the evil the evil things. I right. Would imagine. Yeah, I think so. That that the reason I think so is that works out really well um with the season arc of yeah. like we're introducing these bad guys and then also whoa, our main character has a direct cut tie. Like it gives us a direct tie back to them. Yeah. Um so I'm curious to see where the whole Anna stuff like how that affects him in his relationship mm-hmm. with the bad people. Same. Uh and that's pretty much what I have. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else. Did we miss any characters? Not really. Nothing big. Uh, That Keffer guy maybe comes back briefly in this episode. Oh, no, no. He's just in the theme song, and I was writing about the the theme song here. Uh, I really like that that officer's bar, which is called uh, the Earhart, named after Amelia Earhart, Mm -hmm. uh, is always playing smooth jazz. You don't hear, like, the soundtrack to the show is very much of one type, one genre of, like, sci-fi, synthy background music mm-hmm. and then they do um they go to that place and it's like specifically jazz and you're like whoa cool i'm into that uh yeah lots of just me being sad about londo sheridan mm-hmm. calls babylon 5 b5 which i've never heard said out loud and i don't like it Mm-mm. i do not like people saying b5 um when they are bringing garibaldi back to life he decides to also ingratiate himself with us by being like i'll give him my life energy we'll use the machine we forgot to talk about that that the way they bring uh, garibaldi back is yes right franklin this is this is good though this is like hopefully i don't know if it has to come back again but franklin using the machine to bring back garibaldi is interesting like they're using their cool technology more than once for once yeah it is cool although mm. um they skirt around the like real consequences of using the machine mm-hmm. by saying like oh john sheridan and dr franklin are using it together so it's not actually going to hurt either of them right we'll take shifts yeah and that makes it so that we don't have to worry about them getting hurt by it which kind of takes the punch out of it i think it neuters it a lot yeah it's like yeah. now this is just a thing we can it's a healing device. it's like a cheat code now yeah if you get rid of its one weakness and then yeah my last two notes are sheridan at one point says god what a day and someone else is like uh and it's not quite over yet which is like a very beginning of season kind of plot uh Mm -hmm. line yeah and then related to that the final line of the episode is him talking to uh ivanova and he says uh it gets cold up here sometimes doesn't it lieutenant commander and she just goes it does indeed (laughs) <laughs> mm. Ooh, spook that's kind of cool though it's like yeah. a little bit like things are spooky now but then it zooms out into space in a way that <laughs> looks dumb all alone in the night yeah um but that's what i got i would uh love to see where this season is going so Same. uh mr magellan can you do me a favor and read me uh the descriptions of the next two episodes of babylon 5 next week we're watching the next two episodes of season two of babylon 5 First, we're watching episode three, The Geometry of Shadows. Great title. Londo hears a bizarre prophecy that will affect the galaxy from a wizard. Not a well-structured sentence, I will say. Can I read you the the wiki description of the episode, too? Because it's even cooler. Yeah. 
It's like a little bit more fleshing out, but I, while Susan Ivanova must contend with a civil war among the Drazi, Londo Malari confronts a coalition of mysterious, and this is the best two words I've ever heard in combination, technomages. Oh boy. Give me All that. Right. Episode four, we'll watch next, A Distant Star. An explorer friend, oh God. <laughs> <sighs> An explorer friend of Captain Sheridan's tells more stories of strange activities out on the rim. Okay. Oh, that's okay. Okay. It's just that like somebody else's friend is. Yeah. We got another mysterious new pal. And, uh, and that's what we're watching next week. Fantastic. Let's take it to the plug zone. If you would like to send us some feedback, you can do so by tweeting at us at chatspod, that's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D, or sending emails to chatspod at gmail.com. We love receiving your emails. And if you also want to review us on iTunes, that really helps get the show out there and uh, and can support us in a minor way. If you want to support us financially, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash chatspod, where at $2 a month, you get a monthly commentary uh, where Majan and I watch movies with you. And uh, yeah. we just put out our Shaolin soccer commentary fun that was a fun one that was a very fun one it's really interesting watch us watch us flip (laughs) yeah you can hear us love and then hate and then like that movie in real time yeah it's it's a live thing it's great uh and then at five dollars a month you also get chats nights which came out on the same day uh what did we talk about in the latest chats nights oh we did more uh would you rather oh the yeah never mind sorry go ahead or not not yeah uh, correct. The they both commentaries the five dollar. No, commentaries are two. Chat okay. is five. You make the less fancy stuff at higher tiers because that's gotcha, the people gotcha. who really want your stuff. Yeah, chat chats nights fun show. We just kind of hang out every two weeks and tell and tell stories and joke around and ask questions. Uh, really trying to explore the space, you know. Yeah. But since we don't do plugs uh, here on Chats on Five, we do chat sums, which are uh, little recommendations of things, ideas, shows any piece of media or just a concept or something we recommend you do for the week um, in place of like plugging our content since we don't really yeah. have big online presences. But John, what is your chat for this week? Uh, mine is an episode of a podcast oh. that I was uh, told about this week by a friend of mine and uh, told that it was very funny. It's an old episode of the show called Chelsea Peretti. Um, hmm. where comedian Chelsea Pretty like takes random calls and talks to people. Um, it's on the feed of that show, but it's not actually an episode of that show. It is. It's called "Rain's Coming In," and it's a recording of a performance of a satirical, like a kind of a pastiche play that she wrote that uh, is like a, a rural family drama um play but it's very funny and i recommend that people listen to it what um what's the date on it so if people just want to scroll back in that feed it's the second most recent episode on that feed so it's pretty easy to find oh okay perfect yeah it's called rain's coming in excellent yeah. uh what about let you let me write that down because now we're gonna we i like to actually make sure we don't overlap so we have a little doc with our with her chat sums. Um, my chat sum this week is also a podcast, but mine's an entire feed. Uh, it's a newer podcast. And, uh, you know, we listen to a lot of shows, try to 
keep our taste diverse and try to keep our listening habits changing all the time. So uh, this new show I just got into is called The Slowdown. It's Slowdown, one word. Uh, it's a podcast hosted by the current United States Poet Laureate, uh, Tracy K. Smith. And uh, she uh, puts out an episode every weekday where she discusses a poem and then reads it to the listener. Um, each episode is almost exactly five minutes long. And um, I just, I love it so much. It's really relaxing. Um, and it reminds you that not only do like podcasts not need to be, you know, a presentation or a show for you, it can just be like a moment in your day that you enjoy for a couple seconds or a couple minutes. But also just poetry is so good, y'all. Um, I was, the one I listened to this morning was, uh, you know, this poem about th- this, this guy whose mom was in the hospital and talking about like what, how family relationships change when you're in the hospital mm-hmm. and yeah, there's just, you know, I'm not going to say like my chats, I mean, it's poetry, but, uh, the slowdown in particular no, that's, is that's a, great. Yeah. It's a, re- <laughs> it's a really digestible way to enjoy poetry. So I uh, check it out. Beautiful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chatsalon 5. Peace.